Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am Colin, your main host, and guys, I'm so excited because uh, today I have a very special guest, someone I met a very long time ago in my early days in this fandom, um, and that is none other than <laughs> Kevin Coppa. Welcome so much. Thank you so much for joining today. <laughs> Thank you very much. It has indeed been quite a while. Back in, oh my gosh, I want to say 2009? Yes. Wow. Yes, it was. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so 11 years ago, uh, I went out uh, to Anime Central out in Chicago and uh, brought a camera with me and decided I wanted to do a some coverage of basically cosplayers, a whole video thing, because I don't know, I, I was getting into the video world and I loved Avatar and I've always always had wanted to go to Chicago. So it was a marriage of a lot of really uh, just fun things. Um but yeah, I met uh, Kevin there, uh, who at the time, uh, you know, we had seen some of his videos doing uh, the puppet benders, and we'll kind of get into that. But I want to, I want to first give you a chance uh, to kind of introduce yourself, tell us just how you've been involved mm-hmm. in this fandom, and uh, just kind of starting from there. Oh my goodness! Wow, where to start? Well, um, first of all, I'm just a Avatar fan, and uh, started off just like anybody else, having caught it on Nickelodeon airing back in the day. And just through a, a serendipitous series of events, wound up having a very charmed life over the past decade or so in the fandom, <laughs> really enjoying the series and getting to know the people behind the show who've made it and just making friends with some of the best uh, fellow fans imaginable, just like yourself, over time. And uh, currently, what we're doing or what I'm working on is on my YouTube channel, where I was also doing puppet videos over the years, but we're also doing a new series called Nostalgia Bending, where I'm collecting all these things over the past 15 years that I've been involved with, with the fans, and and making it into sort of a, uh, yeah, like a nostalgia series, uh, sharing that on YouTube with people, talking about things that were, you know, happening in the fandom back in the day and uh, going forward for all the new fans who, who are finding mm-hmm. it on Netflix. I wanted to be able to share some of the things from the past that... Uh, We've had a lot of fun being involved with. And I, I, I love that you are doing this too, because I, I think it's so important to have someone chronicle uh, those the history, especially because the community that surrounded Avatar was so much of what made it such a unique force and how it really became something that was beloved from everyone around the world. Oh, yeah. And it not only that, but just so many people of all different ages. Um, so when you, what was it like when you first saw it? Like, it did, was it like you caught the initial episode? Like, what was your <laughs> first exposure to Avatar? Yes. Well, I had to, I had to try to remind myself about this because, you know, your, your memory fades with time, right? So I've had, <laughs> you've caught me at the right time making this video series because I had to like delve deep into my memory. Like, how did I find this series? How did I how did I do this? I found pictures on my old hard drives that I didn't even remember I took. You know what I mean? <laughs> in fact, the, the last interview I just did with my friend Star, Avatar Mom, she remembered so many more things than even I remembered. And I was just like, oh, I'm such a bad interviewer. I couldn't, you know, you're supposed <laughs> to be on top of this stuff, right? But I do believe the very first time um, I caught it was actually it's my, my father. My dad was watching this show. Okay. Wow. I wasn't even paying attention to it at all, but I, I caught him watching it one time. 
And I thought, is my dad watching anime? What the, what the heck? What's going on? Has <laughs> hell frozen over? Are pigs flying? And, uh, you know, sure enough, I started kind of watching it over his shoulder with him. And I'm like, well, this is really interesting. It's really drawn in an interesting way. It wasn't quite anime. It was kind of this mixture of the two. And the story started catching my, uh, my attention. And so from my dad watching it, I started, you know, following up on it myself and, and catching it when it aired and thought, my gosh, this is just absolutely fantastic. This is really, I've never seen Nickelodeon do something that had a serial style narrative. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, something that had these really intriguing characters and this sort of this fantasy set storyline. Typically Nickelodeon is cartoons about things that barf and fart, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> not that I'm putting that down. That was a big part of my childhood. Ren and Stimpy yes. to the max, okay? But but this was something very different. And for it to appeal to my dad, who had, you know, at the time, I don't know, was in his 50s, uh, this was really something that I needed to, you know, find out about. Yeah, and it's so interesting, too, because now in this day and age, serialized animation or just for that matter, television is just so popular. And so much of that, oh, yeah, you know, because whether you're looking at Netflix or just the so many ways that... TV evolved over, you know, the early 2000s and 2010s. It just became something that people just gravitated towards. They love seeing these storylines that arced over multiple seasons, these just massive character growths that weren't just, you know, kind of the episodic mm-hmm. fun adventures of given characters. People wanted to see these long-standing stories and I, I think it's a testament to just how ahead of their time Mike and Brian were because they really mapped out this entire story in such a, uh, in such a great way that not only, you know, we got to see a full complete story in the first series, but they gave themselves so much room to expand mm-hmm. and do so much more with everything before in between and after. Yeah, no, we, we totally take it for granted today because that's what entertainment is now. It's a fully accessible, multi-art, you know, long, I think they call it long-form storytelling, right? But you got to, now I tell people in this, in my nostalgia series, you got to put your mindset back to where we were like, you know, a decade ago. And that was something that was just beginning to become a mainstay, you know. In fact, you know, I may be skipping ahead of the conversation a little bit, but there's times that Nickelodeon was kind of like, whoa, guys, back it off. Let's have some more standalone <laughs> episodes because this thing isn't always going to rerun on TV in order. Do you know what I mean? People aren't always going to catch these uh, serialized episodes in the right order. It's all going to be scrambled and it's going to be confusing. So I think the very even the nature of the fact of something being a, a show that airs on TV and you catch it or you don't catch it or you miss it, as opposed to being something you now access or access on a streaming style. Do you know what I mean? totally changed the whole entertainment landscape. Well, it's why the episodes that you would always see on Nickelodeon were Jet or Bato (laughs) of the Water Tribe because they were like such an easy entrance into the Great Divide or whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you saw the show and it became something that you really gravitated towards. When did you kind of make that transition from this being something that you really kind of enjoyed to something that you really became invested in to the point where, you know, you <laughs> wanted to go to a convention mm-hmm. or start doing like just what kind of what was the catalyst that, you know, kind of brought you past that threshold? Sure, sure. Well, I got involved in the fan forums 
back in the day, mm. you know, jumping on there to read people's theories about what was going on or what was happening. And uh, the, there were two big ones back in the day, big in terms of forums where people gathered. And that was avatarspirit.net and Distant Horizon. Mm. Or Distant Horizons. I can never get, get that right, one of the two. So those were... And avatarspirit.net was, was both an active forum and kind of a big fan site that had a lot of content material screen caps and all those sorts of sorts of other oh, things on the, i, I on still the front use page. those screen caps yeah, right? <laughs> i still exactly. go back there <laughs> i'm glad it's still there i mean the forum is yeah. unactive anymore and the site isn't being updated anymore but i'm glad that's still there at least um but i, I gravitated more towards distant horizon and i don't know why just you know I, I eventually i think i made more friends on the forum there and just getting involved with that i eventually became i think a moderator there of they had the the art forum where people would post artwork and stuff like that so they made me a moderator because i was posting photoshop work and stuff like that that was you know fan works from the show and uh just being involved with that and having the excitement of being involved with other people who were really excited about this show um was something that i really wanted to start contributing things to it it was just exciting to do It it was exciting to interact with people on that level not just discussing but creatively and my profession is video uh videography you know, video and filmmaking is what I went to school for. It's what I had a, uh, you know, a day job doing. Um, and in that regard, I thought, well, maybe I could use that to some degree to integrate with my fandom, you know, bring people some, some video material. Um, and that involved would be, well, there's these conventions, you know, there's San Diego Comic-Con, there's a bunch of other ones where these events are taking place. And I could go there, I could shoot them, get video footage of it, you know, edit that, upload it, and, and share it with everybody uh, back on the forums who are my friends. Here and there, you know, now Distant Horizons wasn't uh, a site that was really interested in hosting video or having all those extra features. Like I said, it was mostly a place for a forum and people to hang out. Um, I eventually made friends with some other folks from another site called dongbufang.net. Mm. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody remembers that one or not. It was a... Uh, <laughs> It was, it was another site that was kind of competing with the two, but it wasn't as heavily active. And I'm sure the site manager would never want me to say that. He'd be really mad at me. At least his, <laughs> I don't know, 19-year-old self or whatever it was back then would be really mad at me. He'd be ringing me out. Don't say something like that, Kevin. I'm sure he's, he's different, you know, 10 years on. But uh, it was not the bigger site. But they were really excited about my idea about going to get video coverage of San Diego Comic-Con. And this was the year uh, 2007. So... I made plans. I knew that they were having an official panel that year because they were going to be teasing season three, which was just coming out at that time. You know, it hadn't aired yet. Season two had just finished. And uh, they were going to have an official panel and a bunch of other things were going on. I thought, all right, let's do this. Let's get my video equipment together. Let's jump on the plane because I'm from the the Midwest and we flew out to L.A. I got some help from some people on the forums. We went around, got video. Even got an interview with a voice actor and a whole bunch of other things, you know, and we just put these videos together and we put it up on the Dong Bufang site. And it's it's so interesting because, you know, one of the questions I was going to kind of talk about was, uh, you know, these forums and how much they were such a huge part of mm-hmm. the community. And it just the landscape of the Internet has changed drastically. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, the forums just aren't really a thing anymore but it was such a great place uh to be able to kind of have that shared sense of community and i love that you brought up the art because i remember the the forum that i was a part of uh avatar portal i mean Mm, because there mm -hmm. were so many different Mm -hmm. ones all circling around yes yes, right it and it was just so fun to see all of these different people and from all over the world, all different ages, really contributing. Two that I know that really always stuck out to me was there was a 
uh, a fan fiction um, that uh, one of the writers, and it was just like, it was a whole Zuko fan fiction that spanned multiple years. <laughs> and then there was another, uh, I know another video maker who did like, uh, like AMVs, animated music videos. And this was before, you know, YouTube and Google video were like really <laughs> cracking down on, you know, songs and copyright issues. So people were, you know, I know all about implementing different music. Uh, oh, the days. <laughs> Oh, yes. The internet was a much more free Wild West just a decade ago. <laughs> yes. Um, so I guess, you know, kind of keeping that in mind, you know, seeing that you were a part of the forum community then, what has it been like for you to see the community evolve amidst contemporary social media and to see both old and new fans kind of share their passion with the show uh, through them? Well... It's interesting because I mean, there's been a there's been a period a period after core where I kind of wasn't involved in anything. I kind of wasn't it wasn't on my radar. I wasn't paying much attention because even even in the world of the fandom, nothing was really happening. So you know, I had my my idea of the way things were in the old days, and then suddenly out of nowhere comes 2020, and uh, Avatar shows up on Netflix. Right. So mm. just recently now, as soon as everybody has been rediscovering this show and things have been kind of blowing up, suddenly I'm starting to see things online. You know, people are contributing and doing the same stuff like we we did with excitement back in the day. And like you said, it's different because it's different platforms. You know, we didn't have uh, TikTok. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have mm-hmm. Facebook back then, for Pete's sakes. Maybe we did, did we? Gosh, not right away. Not right away. It, it, it was it was just like they were just starting to introduce. Like I think because it was like we had MySpace. It was right around 06, 07 yeah. where they were started testing it out. But mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but there was MySpace. But again, not many people were using that for you know fandom pages or anything like that. It was all personal mm-hmm. nonsense. So to see, I mean, really, the stuff that you're seeing on TikTok right now, which I love. I can't believe oh, the creativity it's so good. and how hilarious. <laughs> Uh, people are today. I hate to say young people because it makes me sound like I'm, you know, ancient. And, uh, <laughs> all you youngins sure are creative out there on them internets. And it just reminded me, it flashed me back to back in the days we had people on the forums doing their own animations in Flash and posting them on the site. So basically, everything that used to be kind of uh, centered on the forums and we would be hosting them on our own URLs or Tiny Pick or whatever it was, you know, wherever we could store <laughs> images or video or whatnot and post them in little windows on our forum posts. I now see being distributed across the new social media. You know what I mean? So really, it's the same thing. It's just different tools and easier ways to share them. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad that you brought up TikTok too, because honestly, I it the content that is coming out of there is just it, it, it's it's so and it's so fascinating because yes. you know you you see so many people. Uh, not only you have you know, where it's like the audio covers uh, that, you know, people are like, you know, kind of either in cosplay or like going through the lines. Mm-hmm. But then you have people who are just filming their screens, uh, you know, as they're watching it on Netflix, who are giving kind of commentary. And suddenly you're seeing these, you know, insights that maybe we saw before, but then you're also seeing new stuff where I, even I'm just like, this is amazing. And and I think it is truly a testament to the power of the show Yes, and how much how deep it is because you have so many different perspectives that can lend itself to just a whole conversation and i it's 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 been so special to see it is and here's the thing like i said it's the same things they're observing that we did back in the day which isn't to say oh we were there first no i'm like you guys are my brothers (laughs) we see eye to eye i'll give you an example 
back in the day on the forums, we used to joke around that, you know, when they were shipping, oh, Zuko, Katara, Zuko, this, whatever, you know, somebody made a joke post one time about Zuko slash clothes, because if you really watch the show, Zuko like has a lot of costume changes, like yes. lots, <laughs> like dozens. And somebody made this joke. There was a huge, big problem. We Mods had to shut down the whole thread because people were going nuts posting about, you know, making this pretend ship about Zuko being in love with his clothes. Anyway, skip ahead 10 years. I find, you know, on Instagram, all these posts, the same thing. Like Zuko's like a, like they're like a drama queen or something in the meme they made where they show all his outfits and everything like that. I'm like you guys, you're right on top of it. So you're seeing, you're seeing the same things we did back then and loving him and joking about them. That's great. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's very, it's very fun to be able to, um, you know, it, especially feel that tradition still carried on. And mm-hmm. I think that what makes it feel so good is that the values that the show really touts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's been a really, a really incredible thing to see how much a lot of the lessons and the commentary and everything that was shown in the show and how much it resonates with, I don't know, just as the world has evolved and everything that is kind of shaped with the world. It's it just been very interesting. And I guess I want to know, like, what has been something that you have noticed now kind of revisiting the series and kind of reengaging with the fandom in this way that you didn't really notice before, whether that was because you're older now or just a different perspective? Hmm. Something that I didn't notice before. I don't know. Let me see. I mean, I see... I, I did notice this before, but I do see a lot of people gravitating towards um, something that really did even stand out back in the day. And that was the commentary about uh, women and their role, mm. you know, in the world. Uh, as even, you know, in the show, of course, Warriors. And extrapolating that into the world, into having, you know, common respect for women and leadership roles. And, you know, with the whole, the whole thing with Katara, like even the first season. Where she's, you know, against the, um, I'm a bad fan. I forget his name. Remember she has the Paku. fight. Paku. Thank you. Paku. <laughs> that, you know, it was interesting to, and, and people caught on exactly what they were trying to say with that whole thing. Like, you know, you can't, uh, stop me or you can't break me down. I think was the line that she had, even though she's losing in the fight against them, she won't give up. She won't quit because she's asserting herself saying, Hey, you know, stop disrespecting me, you know, stop, you know, ignoring me just because I'm a woman. Right. And of course that resonated, but it seems to resonate even stronger today with everything that's happening and going on, you know? And I see people really picking up on that as well. Funny thing is I also see people now, I saw, finally came to mind, I blathered on long enough that something popped in my head that nearly answers your question. (laughs) (laughs) We, um, I saw, again, it was another meme or or on Instagram, you know, where they were posting um, the scene, you know, the whole thing about Azula and Ty Lee. And people were on there. They were like, oh, they're shipping or slash shipping Azula and Ty Lee. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. And like someone was pointing out saying, no, it's not cute. She's terrified of Azula. And she's just, you know, doing what she can to survive, you know, to go along with her and, you know, watch the scenes. And they said, this is a very toxic thing. Don't be talking about, you know, um, comparing the plight of a character and calling it cute or, you know, uh, maximizing or, or taking advantage of it when it really they're showing something that is a very toxic relationship. This isn't a good friendship. They're not really friends. You know what I mean? And th- that's like, wow, you guys are spot on with that. And I think there's a certain, 
I mean, I don't want to call it social justice because that's kind of a, a bad trigger word now, too, for some people. Mm. But there's a lot of, I think, younger people who really recognize those sorts of things. You know what I mean? Negative relationships and toxicity. And they see it represented in these characters. And they're, and they're, and they're more empowered to call it out these days more so than they were maybe back in the day. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think that that goes hand in hand with the uh, power and potency of contemporary social media, that there is, uh, it is very empowering. Um, you know, it can be used for good or for evil, sure. <laughs> as oh, yeah. we have seen. Um, but, you know, it's it's very interesting. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head that it's the, a lot of those messages and, you know, again, you can kind of look at certain things with it at a surface level but there is a lot of there's a lot of deeper commentary as well and i and i think honestly we did a deep dive series on azula and that especially was just mm-hmm. fascinating to really re-examine especially as an adult because i think that you know you it, and it's amazing that like young people too are seeing that for what it is but i know that like as an adult being burned, having friendships that really crashed and burned or just being and finding myself in toxic relationships. It is amazing to see that. And then suddenly you, you see it and you're like, wow, <laughs> that is so familiar. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I, one of the things that of course, you know, over the course of, uh, when you were first involved with the fandom and one of the things again that I had kind of caught my eye and how I was first kind of found you on the internet as well was uh, through your puppet benders uh, (laughs) videos. Um, And can you, can you talk about like how you got started with that? I know it's like a little bit of a rehash from our old interview back in 2009, but it's just, I don't know. That was 10 years ago. I I think we can revisit it. I think we're safe. (laughs) I think the, yeah. the expiration code is, is passed on that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, after, after I, had, I did the videos on, uh, you know, the convention coverage, um, it was only a few months after that that I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do that again at the New York Comic Con that was coming up the following uh, February. So that was summer 2007, so it was going to be February 2008. And... While I was kind of thinking about, oh, maybe I'll do, again, news-style video coverage, some interviews with fans and things like that, um, Dave Roman, who is the who was at the time the comics editor for Nickelodeon Magazine, mm-hmm. he was going to host a fan panel. And uh, he put out a call for video entries for people to submit, you know, like an AMV or, um, you know, just he listed a whole bunch of different, you know, things that fans could do video-wise because they wanted to have like a little, you know... Uh, marathon session of like fan work and one of the things he put in there because he's a he was a big fan of potter puppet pals at the time he says oh do do puppets (laughs) you know do puppets or something like that it was was just a passing line and my eye caught that and i'm like yeah because i was thinking what could what could i do that would let me stand out from everybody else that might actually get me accepted into part of this video reel he wanted to put together i'm like i know i'm gonna do puppets i don't think anybody else is going to attempt to do that i could stand out so i did just that (laughs) And in fact, um, if anybody knows Dave Roman, he's also a fantastic, uh, you know, comic uh, graphic novel, you know, editor and comic artist himself. And uh, he has a series out called Astronaut Academy, which everybody should really check out. It's really fantastic. And his, he draws these very simplistic kind of characters, you know, no noses, just these two little dot for eyes and a slit for a mouth. 
And I purposely made the Avatar puppets look like that because I wanted to kind of suck up to Dave and be like, hey, maybe if he sees this, he'll <laughs> he'll want to put that in the in the in the uh, the showcase, which I really didn't have to do because it wound up being unique enough that he was excited and wanted to put it in there anyway. But so I always I always joke I say I, if I hadn't been doing that I might have made them look a little different, a little more advanced. But my goal was to make the puppets look more advanced than the Potter Puppet Pals because Potter Puppet Pals were just. Um, you know, they're basically little sacks on the end of their, their fingers. They didn't have mouths that moved. Right. They weren't Muppet-like, in other words. You know what I mean? They were awesome for what they... I'm not putting them down. They're awesome for what they were. But I wanted to do something that wasn't exactly a carbon copy. I wasn't trying to, you know, hone in on their on their, their scene. Mm. So, went to work. Um, I, I schooled myself in puppetry and doing the foam building. Got some patterns working. Uh, got the Antron fleece, which is the same Muppet skin fleece that they use. You know, I didn't reinvent the wheel. People always ask me, how do you make puppets? I'm like, don't start from scratch. Go online, look for tutorials. There's lots of stuff that was written even back in the day, even though we weren't using YouTube back then to make stuff like that, you know, tutorials video-wise. And uh, I did that. I made it all in several months, shot the very first video that we did, which was called, I called it Hot Air. And yes. <laughs> it actually, it was, it took place, you know, every, it's the, the whole theme of the thing I should explain is the scene, I can't remember the episode numbers exactly, but it was in the middle of season three when it was airing. And Aang and the gang were flying off on Appa, and Zuko had gotten in his balloon, and he was chasing after them because he wanted to go join them. Remember, they're all heading, I think, to the Eastern Air Temple? Yes, 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 right? yes. So, I um, again, that, that's where the story, my joke story was based. So he's flying in his little air balloon behind them, and for people who viewed this live back in 2008 everybody knew that that was the stopping point in the series we didn't know anything that happened further beyond that so this was fresh in their minds this this part of the story people watch it on youtube nowadays and they're like why'd they pick this because i have a joke at the beginning too where Aang goes to find the fire lord and i think i have toad jump out from behind the podium (laughs) he says the fire lord's in another (laughs) castle which again was a joke that was very du jour very in the moment if you were watching the series at that point, because remember they had the attack on the Fire Nation and the Fire Lord wasn't there, was the big disappointment, right? So that, you know, again, I found, I wrote a little story that was very contemporary to where the show was at the moment, made jokes, wrote jokes up and gags about it, shot it, brought it to New York, and I wound up editing it in a cramped New York hotel room, <laughs> kind of at the last minute. I did the uh, all voices of the three characters. I made Zuko sound like this. I made Sokka sound like my regular voice. And then I was like, well, I need a third voice, so I'll make Aang high-pitched. And I really, I guess it works, but I always look back at that and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd had time to find other people to do all three different voices because (laughs) it's really dumb having me do all four voices. And this sounds nothing like Zuko, but whatever. So I did that. But you definitely got the angst in there, though. And (laughs) I think that that's the key. (laughs) And he wound up being my favorite puppet. He's almost destroyed now. I've got to rip him apart and maybe remake him because he's I've I've puppeteered him so much at like live events and things because it's so much fun to just like be really sassy and angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we we put the video in the show and uh, it was a lot of fun. People really laughed and had a good time. And and uh, after that. I put it on YouTube, which was my first time ever doing something like that. YouTube was brand spanking new. It was only about two or three years old at that point. Hmm. And it actually exploded from there. That was like an early viral video. I know it's going to sound like I'm like, you know, blowing smoke up my own backside. It it was, it was was huge. (laughs) People shared it like crazy because people loved the show. So it was an early little viral hit. 
And it got, I think, in that first year about a million views, which was like shocking to me. Today it sits at four million, which really blows my mind because it picked <laughs> up again when this Netflix thing went down and people started finding this like crazy, which is what prompted me to start making YouTube videos again. I'm like, all right, the audience is back. There you go. Yeah. And it, what's crazy is that, you know, because I, here I am, like, again, thinking it's like looking back and clearing my own memory that I, it wasn't from YouTube that I found that because I, I was there at New York Comic Con that year. Oh, yeah. And because uh, that was I also that was like my first experience. I met up with one of the because uh, we were doing the podcast at the time then. And one of the other co-hosts talked about wanting to go up to New York. And I was like, well, I'm closer to there. I have family that's nearby. And we met up and we like did our own like little video coverage of everything. <laughs> oh, good. And good. I, didn't, I, I didn't compete with you. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> No, and I think I I think I had seen maybe one of the videos that you had uh, that you had done before. I know like seen other ones, and it was just I was like, this is so cool, and I love being able to do. It. And like I was also getting into video at that point. Uh, I think it was that was like my senior year of high school. I think when I was uh, going out there, and I just remembered the that panel and that whole weekend was such an electric time for the fandom because that fan panel was such a blast just all of the different content i know that there was one i think one of the other ones that really stands out to me too was the uh someone edited the audio from uh shoes which again (laughs) a sign of the times (laughs) was such a big viral video hit and then they added i think it was like it was azula uh and they added like edited all this uh from the audio there over all these clips of Azula. Uh, and it was just so perfect. It was so good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, the, uh, the electricity of that, that excitement is what made a uh, star and myself decide we gotta, we gotta keep this going. It's what inspired mm-hmm. us to start doing our own uh, avatar legacy fan panels. It was that initial yeah, New the- York fan panel that Dave Roman and uh, Shohan Mott put on. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I had such a wonderful interview with her, and to to this day, I got the uh, the the Zhao comic, uh, Water Tribe, mm. uh, there, and oh my goodness, I I will never forget that when I because when I actually did an interview with uh, Dave Roman earlier this year, and we were both talking about how when we watched Legend of Korra for the first time, and when Tenzin is walking through the spirit wilds and you see Zhao is trapped there, we were both like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it's officially canon now. Yep. But because <laughs> uh, she did that whole story about Zhao kind of, you know, being right. released back into oh, the Northern Water Tribe and losing his memory. Oh, it's such a great story. <laughs> and, and the fact that her art is like 100% spot on to the style of the show is just like double take, mm. like, wait, what? You know? Yes. It feels so real. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of the uh, Avatar uh, fan legacy, like, it just can you tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously you said after seeing this panel that Dave hosted, um, how you got involved with Star and the journey that you both went on with the um, Avatar, like fan, the Avatar legacy fan panels and where it went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it. Again, I was I just uh, I had made friends with her um, that year that uh, the 2007 year where we were at Comic Con. I had been back and forth talking on the forums, and um, 
she had needed a part for one of her cosplay, so I had made it. She was Smeller Beast, so I made this little like plastic shoulder piece for her for her cosplay, <laughs> and we just got to meet and, and talk that way. And, and I, you know, I met her, met her husband Michael and her kids, and it was just you know it was just something clicked. We were just nerds of the of the same color, so it worked, and uh, we got along. And we were both adults, which is another thing too I should mention. <laughs> I was uh you know my mid late twenties. She was in her her thirties, so you know. There was not that I'm saying that I didn't mingle or have friends that were the younger group, the teens at the time, but there was, you know, you can connect a little bit differently on people of your own age, <laughs> right? Yeah, definitely. Because especially, you know, you're you're not going to school in the middle of the day, right? You can you can talk to your adult yeah. friends, right? <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of a difference. People are like, what's the difference? There is no difference, but there some are. Um, <laughs> but after experiencing that New York panel. We just started talking, you know, about how would we do this? How would we host it? And of course, there were thoughts and ambitions about like, gosh, could you do like an actual avatar convention entirely? And because the model that we were looking at was, you know, the Gargoyles fans. I don't know if you remember Disney's Gargoyles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. There's a huge dedicated group of Gargoyles fans that do successfully put on their own focused Gargoyles convention. Um, Whoa, no way. They, That's incredible. They do. I, I'm not sure if they still do to this time, but at, the, at least at that time, it was it was successful. So we were looking at that as a model, but we kind of realized there's a lot that goes into this, and I don't have time, I mean, to list everything, and she does it so much better than I do. I'll tell you this. <laughs> Here's how this partnership works. She's like 90% the sweat and, and organizational effort, and I'm the other 10% of the media support, you know, <laughs> the advertising, the social media, <laughs> the video content, the, the tech support portion of it. And we collaborate on ideas, but she's the one who really knows all about the ins and outs because she did. Um, she's fantastic at researching this stuff because we all have her talents, and that is absolutely her talent. She's a she's fantastic, mm-hmm. and we saw that. They, of course, you have to have like a lot of money involved, and this is this is another thing. A lot of people think when you put on a panels or you put on conventions, this is some sort of a money maker. It is not. It is as I've said with her. This is our expensive hobby, and. To start off with a big convention right off the bat, we realized it wasn't going to happen because there's a lot of complications. How you know you don't have connections, you don't have the trust and support of the people with Nickelodeon. We were going to have to build up to those things, and we we're going to, have to take baby steps. And so we said, let's just worry about doing fan panels like Dave did. You know what I mean? Because that's something that you can easily do. You can apply to a convention to have your own fan panel. And typically, what people do with fan panels is it's a group of fans. They'll sit behind a table, you know. Folks will filter in from the crowd and everybody will talk about the show. And there's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But we knew we wanted to do something more like what Dave did. We wanted to have mm. fan work submission and we wanted to focus on the fans. We wanted to give them a place where they could share their amazing creativity and we could celebrate them, you know, along with the show. That was always the focus. Me and Star decided right off the bat that had to be the focus. And that's what we did. We started off, um, I think the first one was ASEN, where you and I had our little mm-hmm. conversation back in the day. That was the very <laughs> first Avatar Legacy, as she, she named it, the fan panel. And I supported that by making a new Puppet Bender skit that we premiered there. And we did that. We had um, a fan guest who was a fan artist. And I can't remember who it was because it's been so long. But we always made sure, again, that was part of our guest lineup was we had a fan artist of some sort any media, any any format, as a highlighted guest. And we went from there. And it just, uh, it was fantastic. We had a crazy turnout. 
I mean, again, yeah, no, I remember it was packed. Do you remember that? We, awesome. had, we had to turn yeah. people away. We and we were yeah. <laughs> we were like in a basement room on a on a sub building that was disconnected from the rest of the convention. It was like mm-hmm. the Spinal Tap thing where you're people are trying to walk and find the stage. <laughs> like I was amazed people found it, and we had people lined up, and we had to turn away. And that there were was, so many cosplayers too. Yes, because we had, a, and that's right, cosplay contests. We always wanted to have a cosplay contest where we had things we could give away, and she always collected merchandise that we could give away. Now. Again, we'll build up the story later on. We started having connections with Dark Horse and a bunch of other things where we started getting material to give away promotional-wise, which is awesome. But just starting off, it was our own stuff that we were giving away. And I just remember how how fun that was and excited it was to see that there is an audience for this. Nobody came to our panel expecting anything special or extra than just us sitting at a table and talking. But there they were anyway because they loved the show. That was always what was so just amazing to see was you know you talk about this being you know quote unquote the expensive hobby (laughs) i mean people the what people will do to be able to express their love for these characters for this show and for the fandom is not only been very inspiring but it's just so much fun to see because when you see someone who has got like I, i remember specifically from asen there was a cosplayer that i interviewed who was a an uncle iroh cosplayer had his own tea set and like brought out a whole tea set was making tea at like a middle of the day and i mean just having a moment where you're like this is this is just incredible that this show has brought this out in like all of these fans here and it, it was it was wonderful if i can if i can put a little plug in for the avatar um nostalgia bending series i have on youtube what will be next week, as of this recording, September 24th, I'm going to have a part two of the San Diego comic co- uh, coverage, video coverage I took. And in that, you'll see exactly the thing that you're talking about. There was this girl at the official panel who had made fire flakes using cornflakes and spiced them up and was walking around <laughs> giving them out to everybody. And it just, that was one of the funniest things, that, or not funniest, but just the coolest things that I loved about this fandom is we didn't just want to make things for ourselves. We wanted to make things and share them with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and folks, we'll uh, include in our episode show notes. So if you're listening right now, you can take a look um, in the show notes. We'll have a link uh, to uh, Kevin's YouTube page so you can check out that episode. It'll be premiering two days after the release of uh, this episode. Um, so I know at one point that you had the opportunity to be able to meet with Mike and Brian. And mm-hmm. can you talk about what that was like, especially just being involved with the fandom and how much this became just such a a big part of your life, what it was like <laughs> to be able to connect with and talk with the creators of the show. Yes, no, absolutely. No, they, they're they very cool, and they love seeing how everybody enjoys what they've created. And uh, the very first time that we, we crossed paths, um, now they had already known star they had actually you know kind of been friends with star um so we had gone to the panel um i believe it was 2008 right there where of course dave roman had his fan panel but then there was also an official panel uh where they had been you know part of uh, or, or been brought on to be part of and after the, we le- they left the fan panel uh, we were all just kind of kibitzing out in the uh the lobby and they were walking out and they saw the puppets. First of all, they saw star cause they were going to go talk and say hi to star. But then they saw me and I had the aim puppet on my arm cause we were taking pictures and all that stuff. And they like magnets. They were like, <laughs> gotta come check this out. 
And uh, I share pictures with that in, in the, uh, the video, the very first nostalgia bending video you'll get to see. I'm surprised I had pictures of it. They're all blurry and terrible. It's amazing to think, <laughs> folks, I'm going to tell you, back then we didn't have phones with cameras in them. Like, you know, we had like maybe a one megapixel little, you know, digital <laughs> camera that you had to, you know, plug in. I don't even know if it was USB. Who knows what it was? My gosh, but they're, they're terrible. They're blurry. They're tiny. But I have them in the video anyway. And Mike and Brian came over and checked it out, and they were talking. And Mike, you know, flat out asked me, he's like, can you make me one of these? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> it takes a lot to make a puppet. It's like, everybody's like, oh, why can't you just make more puppets right away? It's time-consuming. It's expensive. But I thought, yeah, what the heck? That might be a fun fun thing to do, a fun honor to make. And um, so the following, that summer... Um, I was again excited, fire up, going to go back to Comic-Con again. So 2008 Comic-Con, I went out to L.A. for three months. Not three months, I'm sorry, three weeks. Hmm. And uh, spent some time out there with a friend of mine and other friends who I had met the year previously. And they, fortunately, being expert cosplayers that they were, were able to loan me their sewing machines. So I wound up making Puppet Katara, Puppet Toth, and the Aang that Mike DiMartino had asked me to make for him. And then we met up again at Comic-Con down there in San Diego, and that's when I uh, gave and presented it to them. And it just kind of spiraled from there. You know, uh, every t- they would kind of every now and then post things, hints online when they were talking about, you know, the puppet vendors, they were excited to see videos. And they would tell me that, oh, yeah, they would wait for me to post a video up on YouTube and everybody around the office at Nickelodeon would, would share it and, and check it out or watch it. And we started to have this kind of back and forth. Um, down the road... Um, there's a video, well, first of all, when Korra came out, I don't know if anybody remembers Coronation. Do you remember that? Yes. The Coronation thing was a social media thing they started when Korra was about to premiere, where they wanted fans to kind of, you know, get news delivered to them, and they were going to give them a free poster if they signed up for this, and it was kind of like a hashtag thing, Coronation. And uh, Mike Bryan and Joaquin DeSantos, they made this, you know, video to post on online, where they used my Aang puppet that I had given Mike. And they put Mike's glasses on it because, you know, Aang is kind of a Mike. You know what I mean, right? You know, yeah. bald head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of an extension of Mike. And so Mike puppeteered him from underneath the Nickelodeon boardroom desk and Joaquin and Brian st- sat beside him and they, they did their spiel for coronation. And I saw that video and I was like, okay, we, we're going we're gonna to respond to that. And we, like in the next couple of days, we went and we made this video where we explained, you know, why puppet Aang was in that video, that he gets abducted by these shady FBI characters and force it like kind of like knife point to appear in the video with them at Nickelodeon. And you know, the whole thing's and that video is up on my, my YouTube page too, that people can check out. I think it's coronation, the true story I titled it. And I used the video that they had posted where you'll see it integrated into the footage of Aang being forced and coerced to, to do the bit. And Brian had contacted me. He's like, Oh my gosh, dude, you know that's just really so we had this funny back and forth where we were kind of you know i live like i said in the midwest they're out in la but we're having this kind of online back and forth between each other about uh you know this fan creation this puppet thing which was really cool and that's just something that amazes me you know you can have this sort of one-on-one back and forth with people who make something you're enjoying a content creator and a and a fan of a creation can have this sort of interaction you know what I mean? This is a weird, mm. not a weird, but a gloriously amazing time where that can happen. Mm. Absolutely. And I think in many ways, uh, in, I mean, you see this again and again, the way that Mike and Brian not only 
created the show, but the way that they interacted with fans really set an incredible example for a lot of shows that followed. Mm-hmm. I look at you look at shows like Steven Universe, yes. like She-Ra, like the connections and relationships that these show creators have with the fans. They understand how important that is and how incredibly positive it can make just the fandom itself but also the way that they interact with the content and it's just i i love seeing the echoes of a lot of what they did not only with like the way that they told the stories the incredible female characters um but also again just the way that they uh I don't know, just really living up mm-hmm. to the integrity as well uh, that, you know, they put into the show. And I think, you know, we're seeing that again and again more recently. I have loved the um, fundraisers that Brian has yeah. been putting out for um, the Navajo, Navajo Nation and Black Lives Matter with the these incredible illustrations that not only he is doing, but Lauren Montgomery is doing as well. And it's just so incredible to see them walk the walk. And in a world where we're seeing a lot of different content creators or original kind of arbiters of different fandoms go off the rails, uh, JK <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's so reassuring to know that they are, still leading such a great example with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I definitely wasn't the only one. They used to have a whole wall of fan art that they would always constantly update and post of things they found online. And that was the funny thing. People were always like, oh, are the creators paying attention? They were. They were trolling the forums and checking out what people were saying about their show. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they would, I don't, you know, people are like, oh, they stole my idea. No, they weren't doing that specific. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I can understand how you feel that, but... Uh, you know, that, if that, I would, that would they be a stole my idea, big, I would be honored. That would be a, yeah, you'd think, but there's also legal ramifications that are, are kind of wrapped yeah. up in that. As I discovered when I started to work for Nickelodeon a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which I guess I could lead into is, you know, with the puppet stuff we were doing, come Cora time, Brian said to me, he's like, you know, you made Mike an Aang puppet. What the heck? Where's mine? You got to make me a Cora now, right? Come on. And he posted it. And what's more is he put it on his Tumblr. He put like this, you know, he like, he called me out online, you know? <laughs> search back i mean on tumblr and he's like yeah okay all right all right brian all right fine 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 so sure enough i figured yeah we're definitely going to have a, a cora puppet back and forth uh videos that i can make if i'm doing regular atla videos we can make cora videos too so i worked to make this cora puppet and present it to him at the comic at comic-con again that year um and the funny thing is is i you know i didn't have time to uh, make a Korra for myself. <laughs> so he got the very first Korra <laughs> puppet that I made, and I had to save all the patterns and everything so that I could actually make one for myself when I actually had more time later on. He got the very first one, which, um, oh my gosh, her hair. It was the first time I was using realistic hair on a puppet because she has those darn ponytails, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and prior to that, I was using either felt or maybe some yarn or something that I was trying. I was always looking for materials that were very puppet-ish. Do you know what I mean? I, I was the whole point is they are puppet versions of the characters. You're supposed to be able to see the seams. That's why they don't have noses. That's why they don't have fingers on their hands. They got these little like paw plush animal type hands. They're supposed to be puppets. You know what I mean? We're not pretending they're not. So that's why I was choosing materials that were more less realistic, I should say. But when it came to Cora, I'm like, there's no way to make her hair. Look. I, I made one 
Actually, if you look at that video I talked about where Aang gets abducted, at the very end, you have this Korra rescue him from the trunk of a car. And oh, <laughs> dear heavens, that head was gory and horrible. And I, I <laughs> it was a failure. And I used yarn on that hair and it just looks like garbage. And I, I chopped that off, got rid of it, redesigned it before I gave one to Brian. But to do the hair right, I finally settled on the idea that I'm going to have to find like, you know, a wig or hair extensions or something. And my girlfriend at the time suggested I go to Claire's and find these clip-on hair things for girls. And I'm like, what's Claire's? I'd never heard of Claire's before. And she took me there, and I'm like, I can't walk in this store. This is, this is a store for, like, 10 to 12-year-old girls. I can't, as an adult yeah. male, walk in this store. It's like, you have to come with me. It's like, I can't be seen alone here, especially yeah, buying yeah, yeah. stuff. No, definitely. Hair clips with hair on it. So, you know, I, she did, she, she went in with me. She, she, she wound up, I, I made her go to the cashier and buy them. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I was getting looks, but we found the right color. We found the right hair and it was perfect. It's exactly what worked. I was able to use those Claire's hair extensions on, on puppet Cora. And it looked great. Wow. It looked great. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. But then that's after I gave Brian his Cora puppet, um, and Janet Varney tried to press me. She wanted one, too, of course. And I was like, well, I've got to make one for myself first. That's when I finally got uh, contacted by uh, Megan Casey over at Nickelodeon because um, Brian wanted for the special features on the Blu-ray of Korra to feature Korra puppet bending videos. Mm. Very cool. Ah. Um, so it was, it was a very uncertain time transitioning from... Avatar to Korra, because of course we had the dark time of the movie that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's been really interesting, I think, especially, and this is more recently, because now Korra is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. The response and the kind of back and forth, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there have been a lot of just kind of like clickbaity articles that have come out recently that are really trying to instigate this kind of competition and comparison. You know, personally, I think in an un- unhealthy, non-productive way between Avatar and Korra. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, what has it been your experience, especially um witnessing the growth of Korra, all of the things that it went through in terms of its production, um, and then just how it's being received now and the response that you kind of uh, see now versus what you were seeing while it was coming out. Sure. Well, I certainly don't speak for everybody. Um, but I have, there, there was always, even from the very beginning, there was this undercurrent of Korra's not as good as Last Year Bender. And there was this weird kind of Cora hate that I never quite got myself. And if I'm asked myself, like, oh, which one do you think is better? I'm like, well, no, I like them both. Personally, I have my experience comes a little bit differently. I have fonder memories of Last Airbender um, because I was watching it and enjoying it in a different way. And then when, when Cora hit, I was involved in doing those puppet videos with Nickelodeon. And right in the middle of that, after the first season, I got a really bad Crohn's disease attack. And I was hospitalized, and I wasn't able to finish making my committed videos for them like I wanted to do. So for me, for the majority of Korra's run, I have this sort of weird triggered memory when I think back about it about that time. It was like sad, depressing, and I was feeling really bad about myself not being able to, you know, do what I, do, the, do, do the videos because I physically couldn't. 
So I have this sort of, when I think back about Cora, I think about <laughs> being hospitalized and having multiple surgeries and all those sorts of things. So I have that. But in terms of just raw content, I've never understood why people think Legend of Korra is worse. I have talked to some people, and they say, well, it doesn't have the same concise storytelling. You know, like Legend, uh, Last Year Bender had like one, seasons one, two, three. They knew where they were going at season one, and they got there in season three. They told a complete story, right? Whereas Korra kind of meandered more, you know, a villain of the season, right? And you never, it didn't quite know exactly where it wanted to go or it kind of jumped around or, you know, never felt like a cohesive story the way the original series was. And to that, I would always counter by saying, well, first of all, I, I kind of get the impression that I don't know that they plan to have four seasons. They probably planned, let's go seven, let's go ten, let's go as long as we can, right? As long <laughs> as this, this, this was meant to be more of a perpetual series to start with. Or they didn't even know if they were going to, I don't think, they, first they didn't know if it was going to be more than one season. That's why you have the whole... Amon arc that ends at the first season. And then everything after that was going to be gravy if they could keep going. Um, you also have to remember, too, the majority of that series, season two and three, took place during the writer's strike that was going on. Oh, my gosh. You're Do you right. remember that? They had yes. a limited writing staff of just a few people to work on that show. And wow, the contents. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say that they did a bad job because they didn't do a bad job. They did a fantastic job mm -hmm. with what they had to work with, but they did not have all hands on deck to make that show work to its best possible, you know, outcome or you know content. I can't believe I forgot about yeah, that. Oh they, my goodness! Legend of Korra suffered in its production from the writer strike. Quite frankly, it was difficult for those who were stuck trying to write that series. You know without a whole full staff of, of creative minds behind it. And, and I mean, they are, and especially, I mean, the way that, you know, Mike and Brian worked, you could tell them the way that they talked about it in, uh, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, it, they're such collaborative people. Yeah. You can tell that they really know when to trust the just abilities of the uh, of, of a team mm -hmm. and that has always been present and that makes so much sense that if you don't have a you know it doesn't matter if you have you know steered a ship <laughs> successfully before if you have half a crew you still have half a crew right. no exactly <laughs> and uh the other factor too is is you have to look at the way the nickelodeon was kind of treating the show as time wore on you know mm -hmm. i don't know that I don't want to talk bad about things that I don't know much about or can't talk about. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I really don't know all the details. I just know things here and there that people were saying at the time. But there just seemed to be this kind of undercurrent of Nickelodeon was we're, we're not really interested in this anymore. This, this isn't really fitting into our, our programming block. It's not fitting into our, what we usually merchandise. Like I said, Nickelodeon's kind of the, how do I want to say, skewing younger type of a show. And mm -hmm. this was certainly something that appealed to mid to late teenagers and adults, which was yeah. an abnormality for them. And to have to keep supporting, you know, the show along just for one little small segment of a audience that wasn't necessarily making up the majority of their income for advertising dollars. You just saw support, their support for the show kind of wilt to the point that it eventually stopped airing on TV. And I, there's been a lot of debate, you know. People were pirating the show back in the day a lot. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I mean, that that, that was, was crazy. I mean, the, the mid-2010s and early 2010s was when Pirate Bay was everywhere. And, and yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, it was huge. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, I don't know how much we as fans contributed to the death of Korra. I wouldn't say it was nothing. I think we did have a hand in it. 
Uh, but people were downloading the show, not watching it on Nick.com, not watching it on TV. And you don't watch something, you don't get ratings. Advertisers don't want to pay you money to have your show, you know what I mean, in production. You got it. That's how it works, folks. A show needs advertising dollars to exist. And if nobody's watching it, they don't want to pay the money for the slot to be in their commercials. The show can't get made. So there you have it. And at a certain point, the show, you know, people have always said, oh, is it, is it the Korosami ending that Nickelodeon objected to? I don't know. Maybe. It, I think it was a combination of things. But it ultimately came down to the fact that the show wasn't making the same kind of money it, it did when it premiered. And it, they took it off the air, and it only premiered online on Nicktoons, Nick.com. And that's how the show ended. The finale ended there. Bloop. I, I man, that was, I, I know that for me, that was very, that was very hard to see. Because I I remember when some of those episodes dropped, there were so many people that didn't want to do it. But when we went to go watch it, that player could not handle <laughs> no. the traffic. It nope. was just overwhelmed. And we're all like, we're all just freaking out because we're like, we want to watch this. <laughs> you know, yeah, it legally, was uh, legally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like when you want to try to have that support, but that was also during like an era where everyone was just like, well, we can all, we can make our own streaming service. And like every, every other company was trying to do that, Mm -hmm. but like they just did not have the infrastructure to truly be able to uh, accommodate that. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's been very interesting to see kind of all of the different responses, but I'm just grateful for the fact that we have both Korra and Avatar on Netflix to be able to watch because I think that just the sheer amount of exposure and everyone getting to know about these stories um, and getting to experience them, I think is just is amazing Um, because I know that for a while, the only way that you could really watch, uh, you know, you could watch Korra was through like Amazon Prime, but it was like you had to pay for all the different seasons individually. And, you know, there was, you know, when DVDs and Blu-rays were kind of in a transition period as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, do I get this? Do I get that? (laughs) Um, But it's, I'm just grateful for the fact that we do get to see that. I'm grateful for the fact that we got as much as we did. And that's something I always try to remind people and tell the youngins is that, you know, back in my day, there was a show called Firefly and it only got one season. (laughs) And, you know, the fact that we got as much as we did, Mm -hmm. we are still continuing to get all of these different comics and additional content is incredible. And we are incredibly fortunate as a fandom to still have current content to be able to enjoy and interact with and discuss. We are. Would you want you want to hear my fears though? Mm. It's about the Netflix series. I I I wanted to get to that point at uh, <laughs> I definitely wanted to kind of get to your thoughts and I, I think now you know we've we've had some good uh, good reminiscing and good times. So I guess let's I want to hear your thoughts and I know uh you know it's it's been a it's been an interesting journey, but uh, I don't know what's what's what are your thoughts on how this has all kind of uh, gone down and where you how you think that's going to influence things from here. Well, the problem is we've been down this exact road before, raging popularity, all sorts of things that are available that people are enjoying in the animated form and the comics and the stuff that's out there, and then comes along Hollywood and they decide we're going to make a live action version of this, and they don't get it. They screw it up royal, completely. And then what happens after, the, after whatever their effort is live-action-wise that bombs, they go back to this franchise that's booming 
in animated form and they go, well, see, this bombed. This is proof that this franchise is worthless. This isn't going to work. <laughs> and it goes right back into the box of obscurity again because nobody wants to put their oomph behind it anymore. Licensors don't want to license the thing for toys or merchandise. Um, you know, people are... I hope we're smarter than that. I hope we learn from the Shyamalan movie because that's what happens. You have one failure and everybody uses that as an excuse to say that this whole thing is a failure. Yeah. And it puts it into this, you know, like I said, it puts it into obscurity again. I hope that they've learned that with, you know, one thing that will never go away, Last Airbender was Netflix number one for 10 weeks. It's a record holder. Exactly. That can't go away. No matter how they screw up this live action series, which they will, according to what's gone down. <laughs> and everything I've heard about it, um, you know, it's you. I'm just going to tell you from my perspective. Okay, this is this is Kevin's opinion. I can't I can't speak for everybody, like I say. But why do we keep remaking the same story that worked perfectly fine in animated form? Mm. You know, if you want to take this Netflix series and you want to age this up and you want to have sex, you want to have violence, you want to have you know all these things where you turn it into like Riverdale meets Avatar. Okay, <laughs> which is what which is what I think they're doing. Okay, which yeah. makes me want to vomit personally. But some people I've met have said, I'd want to see that. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I don't agree with them, but, you know, different strokes, different folks. If you want to do that, why not take another story in this same universe? This is a rich universe. Tell the story mm. of another avatar. Age it up. Make it what you want to make it. People will dig it. I think people would like that. You know, we've had, we've had Aang's story. We've had Korra's story. We saw Wan's story. In the Legend of Korra, or one, right? Uh, tell, we've got Kyoshi now in the graphic novels. Why not tell another Avatar story and you can make it whatever style or theme that you want live action? But no, instead we've got to take the same story that worked once and screw around with it and make it something that it's not. It's like, why do we keep trying to fix something that wasn't broken? I'll tell you why. Because the characters have brand recognition. Yes. Everybody knows Aang, everybody, or Ong. Everybody knows Katara. Oh, no. <laughs> Zuko. Those are the people you want to slap on a lunchbox and sell and make money off of. We don't, you know, we don't want to take a risk on new characters that people aren't familiar with that may not sell products. They don't just want to sell a show. They want to sell other products. And I get that. But you're screwing with something that worked before. Why do that? Now, I don't expect the live action show to be cartoony. I don't expect custard pies to be thrown or farts to be made or, you know, the little goofy doofy stuff that happened during the show. I don't expect that, right? No, I don't think anybody does. But if you're going to fundamentally make the show thematically something that ticks off Mike and Brian to the point that they no longer want to be part of this situation, because they've been through that before with the live action Shyamalan movie, you know, I... I think we're far enough along that I can say that they were really embarrassed to have their names as executive producers on that production. Uh, they, and they know they don't want to do that again. To see them walk away from a production like that after Netflix publicly tried to use them as an advertising selling point to this show being something that was the fans were going to enjoy. Why are we doing that? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel... I. I I think you have a lot of really valid points. And I think that, you know, when the news was announced, I, I got a similar feeling uh, because I, I mean, I remember the podcast was seeing such great response leading up to the movie. Mm -hmm. We were trying to stay positive. <laughs> we were trying to just like find a good, t it's like, I mean, they're like, the whitewashing aside, I mean, we're just like, all right, well, maybe it's going right. to be like, you know, interesting to see. And, you know, that's it, 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 it. 
you're absolutely right that it will take the wind out of the sails, yeah. but you're also right that 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 record is not going away. And, and I think that the uh, just the sheer stats that the viewership that Avatar and Korra have brought is something that cannot be ignored. And I, I that was, I think, the, and I think that's the biggest difference between what what happened with Nickelodeon because I think that, you know, pirating or watching it elsewhere aside, I mean, you also have to think about like all the people in different countries who were watching the show online because honestly it wasn't coming to their country. <laughs> like I know we had, we had friends who were in, uh, in Australia and it was like, you know, we, they were still making their way through season two while we were about to get season three. Wow. And, but the thing is, in terms of like them showing it on their televisions, but most of the fans, they'd already seen it because sure. they had watched it online. And I, I think that that was, I, I'm hoping that is what is going to remain is that they can really see that it's not only something that, you know, is just massively popular in terms of, you know, maybe regionally, but right. it's just, it's something that really connects with a lot of people, a lot of different demographics and a lot of people across the world. Now that we're kind of obviously in this moment now, we've had, of course, this resurgence um, with everyone watching it on Netflix. We've had these incredible Kyoshi novels that have come out, more um, comics that have come out as well. We've got a new one with Katara coming out uh, this fall. Um, And I guess what of the avatar content that's on the horizon are you most excited for and eager to see uh, whether that's something that is, you know, actually listed for production or something that you would ideally really like to see. Wow. Well, I think, I think they're uh, on a good course where they're at, you know, Um, I think the graphic novels are doing a very fine job of, of telling more of the story going forward because me again personally, I would love to see new new avatars, new characters, new stories, as I stated before. But a lot of people would rather actually see the further adventures of Aang, Toph, Zuko, Sokka, and everybody, right? And that's what mm-hmm. the comics have really been filling in for and uh, giving them that. Of course, everybody has said they would rather see that in animated form, and uh, yeah, I can't blame <laughs> them. I think I would be most excited to hear about a new animated series um, being in development. I've I've given up on this live action stuff until someone can convince me it actually works that they're gonna they're gonna uh, toe the line and do something that you know works within the creative realm of what made this franchise great. I'm not even gonna care about it. So that ha- that's a, that's a non-starter for me. So I I would be most excited to hear and hoping that if especially if the live action Netflix series fails, that they rethink things, they recircle the wagons, and they say, look, this is a successful animated property. Why don't we use our platform to give them a place where we can make a new animated show? But again, that's going to be on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon owns the IP, you know, not Netflix. Netflix can't greenlight that, so there has to be a collaboration there. And, and Nickelodeon has to decide that they want that and want to do that. But that would be what I would be most excited for. And I would love for the franchise to continue in that direction, being an animated series. Whether they wanted to continue Aang's storyline, I think that would be absolutely cool adapt some of the graphic novels why not have a series of you know an anime called they call it ovas right um i I don't know what we would call it for a mirror anime or whatever (laughs) uh (laughs) short animated movies that maybe adapt certain arcs of the graphic novels or even new original stories 
I think that would be fantastic. I would love to see that. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. So the thing I want to wrap up with is, uh, you know, obviously you have started this YouTube series. Um, you are chronicling these, uh, you know, just basically the fandom over the years and looking back at where this all began and how it's evolved. Um, I, I just love to give you an opportunity, just kind of, you know, you've kind of touched on it a little bit throughout uh, the interview here, but really be able to tell the listeners, you know, what you've kind of got in store for the series. Um, what, and like, I don't know, just uh, pitching oh, it and you. kind of uh, telling folks where they can yeah. find it and how they can, uh, how they can see it. Sure, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, uh, all came about thanks to quarantine, right? <laughs> I find myself, you know, you there's, find a, there's a lot of horrible things going out there. So I gotta be careful how I say that. I don't want to, you know, people are suffering. I know, but, uh, mm. being working from home now, having a little bit more free time and seeing how this just soared in popularity on Netflix, it got me thinking, uh, you know, my YouTube channel has kind of been on ice for a long time. Uh, I made my puppet videos and uh, I just kind of, you know, because of health reasons and just being occupied with work and other things that are going on in my life. There wasn't even hap much happening. It's hard to make parody videos about something that doesn't actually have content being produced for it to generate ideas for that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, though I'm, I'm sure everybody on YouTube's like, why can't you just make more? No, I know, I know. But I kind of <laughs> abandoned it and put it on cryosleep for about eight years. And around the end of 2009, um, I just decided to start watching Attack on Titan, right? And I thought I avoided it for a long time. I was like, oh, what is this nonsense about Vore garbage or whatnot? I don't know. But I watched it, and it blew my mind. It is just amazing. Like, the story was intense. It's crazy. And here I am. I'm coming in to this franchise now at the end of its lifespan. You know, I went online. I read the whole manga. I caught up to the point that we're at, and the manga's now wrapping up. It's got a few more chapters to go before it finishes. Uh, the Attack on Titan anime, the season four is going to be coming out at the end of this year, or so they say. Um, so it's it's like I'm at the tail end. And I thought to myself, my gosh, what was the fandom like when this was booming? And, which I think was back in mm. 2013 when the anime first was on the scene. And I went online and I was trying to look on, like, what were people doing at conventions? Were they cosplaying? Were they doing this? What was happening? And I realized it was just hard for me to find the things that I wanted to know about this fandom, about this franchise that I was suddenly getting excited about. And I could find a few things here and there, but I was like, man, if I could just have somebody tell me what it was like to be a fan back in the day when this was really popular. And once it, uh, Avatar had its success on Netflix, I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I could pay it forward and I could be the guy for Avatar fans that I wanted to have for Attack on Titan for myself. Hmm. And I said, why don't I do that? Because I, again, I have... All this stuff from the puppet benders that I've done over the years, having done the DVD special features that I've never shared online with anybody. I have, uh, you know, all this video I've taken, these photos and these stories and these amazing experiences doing all these Avatar Legacy fan panels, uh, getting to do live readings with the live act with the live voice actors as part of our guests, and just all these really amazing, fun things that I could share with new fans who really might be hungry like I was and wanting to find out more coming in at the tail end of, you know, after this fandom was in its heyday. I'm, I think it's in a new heyday right now. I'm not trying to put it down. I think it's, which is, yeah, which yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, if they were yeah. interested in what it was like when it first premiered, and I realized, my gosh, I have all this stuff on all these ancient Lassie hard drives, which I don't even have connections anymore. I'm, I'm having to plug it into an old computer and then feed that into my current modern computer, you know. <laughs> to get this stuff back in touch or back accessible. And I thought, that would be really cool. And it would be a way for me to wake up my YouTube channel again. 
you know, um, I would I actually would like to start doing things that are not Avatar fan based. <gasps> hearsay, hearsay. <laughs> I would like to start doing some of my own original work. Uh, I have a COVID nineteen puppet project I've been working on since March that I'm looking forward to uh, finishing and, and uploading. There. Oh, I know. I've loved seeing all of the uh, progress photos. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited to see what you and do. And I'm with very that. close <laughs> to being done with that. But I knew if I just slap that up there on YouTube, willy nilly, no explanation, like it wouldn't get any views. All I would get on comments are, "Where's where are they now? Part two. Where's more puppet benders? I don't want to see this garbage. Oh. <laughs> you know, I get this really negative reaction and it's like, well, you're right. I can't do that. I, for the few subscribers who are probably still paying attention, I've got to do what they want, which is avatar fan content. And this isn't easy to produce. You know, it's just me, my big ugly face talking to the camera, sharing these things in, in B-roll that I have on my hard drives. And it's a way to wake up the channel. It's something I can give back to new fans, which makes me excited. And, you know, like I said, like I said, just make a nice platform to share new things with the fandom and maybe start introducing some of my own original material. Cause I called it the corner sphere channel, not the avatar puppet channel. Cause I wanted to make it's, it a mix of things. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, the channel's name is corner sphere with a K, which is very confusing. You'll probably have to put it in your show notes for anybody to figure out how to spell it. <laughs> my apologies. And yeah, I've got a series of Puppet Bender videos that I've done over the years with more to come. I've promised people I will make more Puppet Bender videos, especially with all the new stuff that keeps coming out. There's lots of new inspiration to make parodies of. And I've got <laughs> these nostalgia bending episodes, which I'm now uploading weekly and will continue to do so weekly um, until I need to take a break to finish some of the other projects I'm working on. But we'll, we'll always have a way to come back to that. Um, I'm planning on having... Uh, more guests come on. We had, again, you mentioned my friend, Avatar Mom Star. We talked about Avatar merchandise because she's an expert on that. And I'd like to have other people. And I'm currently in communication with a few of them because I am still, like I said, you know, Facebook friends with a few of the folks from the show. Um, I have talked to a few of them, but again, there's a few things happening out in California right now which are a little preoccupying. So people mm. are probably going to have to wait a little bit before it's, you know, more of an appropriate time for them to do a, a video podcast, essentially, with me. Uh, but hopefully we will get there and things will calm down a bit. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited because we can we can have these conversations and share these things with the fans. And it, it's just been a lot of fun for me. And thank goodness, so far, the response has been very good. The comments have actually been really nice. I was, you know, kind of guarding myself for, you know, okay, thick skin, Kevin, thick skin, Kevin. People are going to be, you know, what they are on the internet and it's not going to be okay. It'll hurt, but it'll be okay. But no, they've been very positive. One of the things that I, I just want to say really quick for anyone who's listening, um, I did talk about in the very first video where I talk about making those core puppet videos for the Blu-rays. I had to mention, because it's part of the story, how I got sick and was hospitalized and had Crohn's disease and whatnot. And a lot of people posted on there very nice and supportive things about like, oh my gosh, you know, my dad has that condition or, you know, my roommate in college had that condition and you were very brave to talk about it. And I just want to say that I really appreciated those comments. I don't, I don't feel like I was brave because it's such a part of my life that I'm used to talking about it. But to realize that, yeah, you know, it's, it's good to talk about these things to destigmatize them so that mm. people don't feel alone who have to suffer from, you know, uh, conditions or, or, or things like that in life. And so that, I just wanted to say that I really appreciated the positive response that people gave me on, on that and appreciate everybody who says kind things on YouTube. Well, 
Kevin, I, I can't tell you how much this is meant to be able to just go back, talk about the early days of the fandom and just have such a wonderful conversation. This has been so much fun. And thank you so much for joining me, for sharing all of these stories and uh, for sitting down and, and chatting for here. This oh, has been so great. Thank you. Absolutely. It has been. It's been a pleasure. All right. So, folks, again, we'll put uh, more information in the show notes. Um, you can find uh, Kevin's uh, YouTube channel at Cornersphere. Uh, so we'll have a link directly where you can kind of click into that. And Kevin, is there any uh, anywhere else on social media or anything else where you would like folks to see you? I'm working on it and will eventually, I think, have some separate Instagram accounts. But at the moment, I just have my personal Instagram, which is at Kevin Copa. It's my name. K-E-V-I-N-C-O-P-P-A, no space. And you can find that on Insta- or, yeah, Instagram. And I occasionally will post some things when I'm working on production of, of puppets and stuff like that and photos there if you want to follow that. Very cool. All right, folks. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And I am so excited to see more of these videos and just follow more of kind of the story of the history of this fandom. Um, so folks, remember you can find us on all those social medias. We are on Facebook and Instagram at legend of portal cast on Twitter at portal cast pod and on our website at legend of And, uh, Remember, if you want to join in on the conversation, uh, feel free to email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. And we've also got a very special announcement coming. We have been building up a Discord server uh, that we are going to be kind of creating as a community to hopefully be able to foster uh, a way to share a lot of this amazing content that has been uh, really resurfacing, a collection of different TikToks, videos like Kevin's, things like that, so we can kind of also have a hub for conversation and be able to share. Also, be able to show all the other amazing Avatar podcasts that have just popped up, including our sister podcast, Beyond Bending, um, others such as uh, the Aeropod and Bending Not Breaking, it's it's a really fun time to be an Avatar fan, and we really want to also be able to help create a another fun discussion community. So be on the lookout for that. We'll be posting more about that on our social media and have an announcement at next week's episode. But for the meantime, and until next time, let us leave. <laughs>